Thank you for joining me in the reading of that psalm. This week, Grace and I were down at Second Beach, uh, you know, the pool that's right there on the, on the ocean. It's just such a wonderful place. Um, Grace loves to swim. Her record is eight hours uh, in a pool. Uh, but yeah, we did close the place down. But while I was there, um, I was thinking about that place, maybe because I'd brought my commentaries with me on Psalm 139, and so I was fully immersed in Psalm 139 when I was there. And I was thinking about my own experiences just at that one particular location, the, um, you know, that big, um, it's just gone out of my fire truck that's there. Uh, Grace was playing in that, and I remembered, like, I used to play in that fire, same fire truck that's in the park there, when I was a little girl, and I used to swim in that, in that same pool, and there were so many memories that came back to me, just different markers in my life. There was one time I was down there for a church picnic, and David rode his bike all the way down from Burnaby just to uh, be with me and my friend. Maybe he had a crush on my friend, I don't know, but he rode all the way down there on his bike just to hang out with us. And then we actually got our wedding photos taken on that very same beach. And so there, there was just all of these different markers. And I had to step back and say, wow, God, you, you've been with me. You've been with me on all of the, the ups and the downs and the, and the detours and the roundabouts that I seem to kind of maybe stay in a bit too long. And all of the different moments of my life, I recognize God being with me and his hand being upon me. And that's what this psalm is about. It's about the fact that God is with us, that he sees us, that he knows us, and that he has thoughts about us. He knows everything, and he knows you. He sees everything, and he sees you. He plans all things, and he makes plans for you and for me. This is the message of Psalm 139. It's a message of these amazing thoughts of God and the amazing presence of God and, and how that big concept becomes so personal because God has thoughts about you and I and he's present with you and I. David, who wrote the psalm, we know he was called a man after God's own heart. And he was able to grasp about God something that was really a mystery in his day. He understood a little bit about the intimacy that is possible with God. Even, even prophets didn't understand this. Even angels longed to look into this intimacy that is possible for us to have with God. And David caught a glimpse of it, and, and he, began, he, he tries to explain it. He tries to, to sing about it and to write about it. Because David was very intimate with God. And that's why he was able to take these most awesome traits about God that scholars debate and bring them down to such a personal way and show how they intersect with who we are. So we're going to go through kind of section by section this entire psalm, hopefully. Um, I really sense, though, and I, I sense during worship that God is speaking to our identity this morning. Even when we sang that song, no longer a slave of fear, I am a child of God. I, I just sense that God 
is, is reminding us this morning not only of who he is, but who we are in him and our identity. And I think he wants to speak to that this morning. And I think when God speaks over us, the identity that he's called us into. Many of the things that we are concerned about, many of our anxious thoughts, as David puts it, are going to crumble to the ground in light of, of the name that God writes over us and will write over us and has written over us already. And so the first section, God's knowledge, verses 1 to 6. You have searched me, Lord, and know me. You know when I rise and when I sit. You perceive my thoughts from afar off. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in before and behind. Behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. The NLT says, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. That hand that is upon us is a hand of blessing. And then David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I saw this first verse, you have searched me and know me. I saw it in an inscription. I think it might have been on Facebook. And it said, it was God speaking. And it said, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. David reveals in this section that our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our journey are all known by God before they even happen. He knows what you and I think, he knows what we say, and he knows what we do. And he knows it before we think, say, and do them. And in the midst of all of that, he places his hand of blessing upon us, his right hand, his right hand that imparts power and provision and protection. You know, there are some circumstances that I think many of us have seen, some in my own life, that really can't be explained other than knowing that God's hand has been upon us. I was having a challenging week this week, and... Um, Someone brought me flowers to my office. It was totally unexpected. And the person didn't know what I was struggling with this week at all. But God knew. And, and when these flowers were brought to me, it was like, oh, God, you knew. You know. And I was reminded again that God knows so intimately exactly what we're going through. At the end, David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And, and Paul says a similar thing when he says, oh, the depths of the, rich, of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Because it is an incredible thing to imagine how intimately God knows us. And even though we might not understand it, we can personalize it. I want to invite you this week to personalize this psalm to personalize it, to uh, make your own psalm in a similar fashion. For example, Lord, you know what I've been thinking. And you could say what I've been thinking about these things and, and what I've said and, and what I've done and, and what I'm planning on doing this week and, and some of the things I'm really concerned about. And in that, we can realize our need and... Thank God that his hand of blessing is upon us. And so God knows us. And God is present with us. Not only does he know us, but he is with us. 
Where can I go from your spirit, David says? Where can I flee from your presence? I don't know if the sense of how much God knows us and how close he was with us made David want to flee, or if he was just expounding on um, that he's everywhere and that he's always with us. How does it make you feel to know that God knows everything about you and that he's with you in everything you do? Does it make you feel safe or or cared for? Does it make you feel not alone anymore? Or or does it make you feel scared and and, and a little bit claustrophobic, uh, wanting kind of a little bit of your own space maybe? It kind of seems like David wants to flee God's presence. I know I'm familiar with the desire for personal space. When I was in the Philippines, I would always have someone with me to whenever I'd go shopping and the person would be like having their hand like right on my shoulder like this. Wherever we would go, their hand would just be kind of like on my shoulder and I'd want to like go into this store, reach for this and they would just be like right there with me every single place I would go and I was like, oh, like I just want some space, you know? Like I I, I found that very constricting and um, I did eventually sneak out one afternoon to go by myself because um, I just wanted a bit of space. But I don't know if there's that kind of a feeling with us when we think about God always being with us for our every move and our every thought or if it's something that we welcome and embrace. But David tells us here that even the darkness will not hide God. Even darkness, even physical darkness will not hide God from us. And even when we're in a time of darkness, I know we all go through very dark times. And I think in those times, it's difficult to sense God to see God and to feel God. I don't know about you, but in the, in the darker moments of my life, Sometimes I've found that I can't really see God in them. Maybe after I do, but, but sometimes those moments, the darkness does shield us from seeing God. But David assures us that he is present with us even in darkness and in, even in dark moments. And so his presence is with us. And because he's always present with us, we have this assurance that his hand will guide us and his strength will support us. And so point number three, verses 13 to 16, we're going to look at God's plans. This gets a little controversial. I'm not going to try not to, going to, try not to wade in too much to predestination, but we do see traces of it here. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We were created with a plan in mind. Each one of us, each one in our unique stories, we were were living these stories out with a plan in mind, and God saw them before a, a moment had passed. He had written about us in his book. God said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you and chose you. 
And he doesn't say that just to Jeremiah. He says it to us as well. In Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So he creates us first and foremost to be with him. But he also creates us with a purpose and a destiny. And he gives us gifts even before we are born. And those gifts are to serve him and to serve others. In fact, once we accept Christ, he gives us additional gifts to accompany those natural gifts that he wired us up with. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. And then he partners to write our story. What's your story? Dan Allender asked the question, can you bless your story? Can you speak God's blessing over your story? I don't think any of us have had a perfect story. There's been, there's been sin, there's been, we, we've sinned against others and others have sinned against us. And we, we haven't lived perfect lives. But yet God has written a story about us. And each one of us is called to reflect something unique about God to the world. Each one of you has a unique relationship with God that's very different. My, I don't hear from God the way you hear from God. I don't, I, I'm not led by God the way that you're led by God. And even the expectations God has for you are, are totally different than the expectations that he has for me because we're all so unique. And with that our unique stories and our unique experience with God are, are going to reflect something different. Everyone you meet sees God in you in a different way. They see him differently because you're going to reflect something different than I'm going to reflect. That's part of this uniqueness that we have and this unique plan that God has for each one of us. I think of the story of um, Desmond Doss, that, that 26-year-old young man, his, his story is um, shared in the movie Hacksaw Ridge. And, and this young man did not have a perfect life. He had really a very challenging childhood with a, a father who had been in the First World War, and he experienced violence in his home and depression and alcoholism, and, and uh, it was an abusive home. And because of the abuse in his home, Desmond Doss decided that he would never pick up a firearm that he would uh, never touch a gun because of the violence that he had witnessed. And so when he enlisted in the army because of his patriotism and because he wanted to fight for his country, he refused to bear arms. And the story is told, and, and the number varies um, between 50 and 100 soldiers that he saved when he went into battle on one day when he went into battle and into the fiercest area of the battle in Japan and he dragged out soldiers and 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 saved their lives he was left up there alone and he he dragged out all of these soldiers and kind of winched them down this this cliff I'm told that the cliff you see in Hacksaw Ridge is about three times as high as the cliff that he actually um uh, brought these bodies down. But nevertheless, he winched these bodies down. 
And he did that. He had that bravery. He had that tenacity. He had that fortitude because of his story, because of the story that he lived and because of how God wired him up before he was born and because of the, the unique and, and very imperfect story that he lived through in his childhood, he was uniquely created to save those lives and receive the Congressional Medal of Honor, the first time ever a conscientious objector ever received a Congressional Medal of Honor. So just such a remarkable story, and that's a really big story, but for all of us, we have a big story that we're walking out, and, and we have a destiny to fulfill, and we have a unique way that we are gonna reflect God to people who don't know him, and to people who do. So what unique story are you living out? And, and just to add um, Dan Allender's question again, can you bless your story? Can you ask, invite God's blessing into your story, even the imperfect parts, so that they can all be set apart to God to be used for his glory? He chose you before you were born, and then he placed gifts in you and then he placed more gifts in you by his Holy Spirit. And then he accompanies you to fulfill your destiny. He accompanies you. I hope you find rest in that. I feel God does want to speak rest over us this morning from our, our striving and our struggle. And just to get a little bit more into a place of rest and trust, believing that it is God who's accomplishing a great work in us and through us. I know in the end, the, the Bible says there's going to be a new name written over each one of us, and may, maybe it's going to be uh, craftsman that, that, that's written over your life, or, or maybe it's going to be warrior or faithful one. But when you come to the end of this life, you're, there's going to be a name that you have exemplified in this life. And then in heaven, when we're given these crowns, we're going to all just throw them down at the feet of Jesus because we're going to realize that it's him that gave us the gifts and it's him that enabled us to use them and it's him that was with us every moment in order to bring glory to his name and to achieve our destiny. It's going to all be about him. And I think we can rest in that. Number four, God's thoughts. David said, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, the precious thoughts of God. This verse can be taken two ways, this verse 17. It can be taken of, God, your thoughts are precious to me. But other translations say, how precious are your thoughts about me. And so it brings us back to this personal relationship where we meditate on God's thoughts and we find that God is actually thinking about us. And he's speaking over us. Bill Johnson says that our identity can only be found in learning what God says about us. And he says, look, I can't afford to have a thought in my head about myself that is not from God. Because thoughts that get into our head about us that aren't from God really take us down a wrong path. We're bombarded night and day by false words about who we are and who we should be. 
But God has thoughts about you. And it's those thoughts that declare who you are. It's those thoughts that are important. It's those thoughts that speak into your identity. Just a few weeks ago, Angel mentioned uh, this word that was spoken over Jesus and that's spoken over us. And it's that you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. But this is only the beginning of God's thoughts for us. As beautiful as that thought is, there, there's so many more. And I think it takes humility and vulnerability for us to sit before God and say, Lord, what are your thoughts about me? What are you speaking over me? Or like Dave said when we were out, like Gump said, what's my destiny, mama? Like, like Gump said, but yeah, ask God, Lord, where are you taking me? What are you speaking over me? What are you reflecting through me? It's so important for us to hear those intimate words from God that are about us. The stanza ends with this line, when I awake, you are still with me. When I awake. Do you sense God's presence when you awake? I know a lot of times when I awake, that's when I'm hit with whatever is most on my mind. I remember in the 80s, I used to get often perms in my hair, and I, remember, and I would regret it every time, but somehow I would do it anyways, again and again. And my first thought in the morning would be like, oh no, I've permed my hair. As soon as I woke up, that would just be kind of like my thought, you know, and I'd have to face that reality. Now that is not a weighty matter. At the time, it felt like it was, but it, it's, it, I admit it's not a weighty matter. But we're often hit with these weighty matters when we wake up. This week, when I woke up, because I was in this psalm this week, I repeated this verse, this little portion of a verse. When I awake, you are still with me. And I just thought about how God is with me in that moment, even with whatever weighty matters I'm considering. And I just said it over and over again. When I wake up, you are with me. We can connect with him in that. It's interesting to me that David goes from this blissful thought about, Lord, when I awake, you're with me, to what about these enemies of yours, God? I think we would feel this psalm was a lot neater if we could just kind of cut out this whole portion on the enemies. It's like, oh, it kind of is wrecking the psalm, but nevertheless, let's take a look at it. If only, God, you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Your enemies, Lord, are my enemies. What starts as a contemplation ends up with really a petition for God to act on his enemies. I think for, for when, I, when I read this psalm, I, I'm coming to this particular portion with this in mind. Okay, Lord, you see me. You know me, you have plans for me, you have loving thoughts towards me, and you've placed your hand upon me. Why then do the wicked prosper? If you're so active and present, Lord, why then are the wicked allowed to prosper? I think that's where David is going here. Why don't you slay the wicked, Lord? And even maybe more personally, why do I suffer? 
Why is there suffering and injustice in my life, in my community, in the world? We wonder about these things. God gets a lot of bad press. He gets credit for nothing and he gets blame for everything. I don't think we want to be, you know, in the position of God. But I think sometimes we think that we could do a better job of certain things, especially injustice that we see. Very few of us want to be prime minister, but I think sometimes we feel like we'd like to give some advice if we could. It's that kind of thing, especially regarding injustice. David wrestled with this a lot, and we see it in a lot of his psalms, where he, he wrestled with the injustice in the world and these enemies of God prospering. Does it fit with your Christian theology, this kind of language about enemies? Is it okay to use this kind of language in prayer? I think if, if this psalm shows us nothing else, it, it should show us that we can be open with God and that we can express ourselves fully before the living God. We're able to find our voice in many of the psalms. Philip Yancey tells a story about a little girl's freedom of expression in prayer. It's a, a young girl named Elizabeth who's four years old, and she was staying with her grandmother, and her parents were in New York City on business. And she prayed this. She said, help mommy and daddy to come home safely. And if they don't want to come home, and then the grandmother interrupted her, honey, of course they want to come home. Don't pray that. But the little girl said, grandma, I'm talking to God right now. And she was allowed to express, you know, and if they don't want to come home, that was her own little anxious heart speaking there. And that was okay. It's okay for us to express uh, our, our deepest feelings about what we see in the world and express them to God in prayer. And I think that's what we get out of this section of the scripture. Because we can find our, our, our voice in the, in, our, in the Psalms as we wrestle through our emotions, our, our, our feelings, our emotional and spiritual responses to what we see that just isn't right. But who are our enemies? Well, David was called to rule an earthly kingdom, and so David had earthly enemies that he was talking about. But we're called to a spiritual kingdom, and so we are called to address spiritual enemies in prayer. And so we can use portions of scripture like this to pray for justice. To pray that the righteousness of God would intervene in situations that we see where we can see clearly that the enemy is reigning in a certain situation. And we can call God to rescue and to deliver and to defeat the enemy. We have the privilege and the responsibility to do this. We have the privilege and responsibility to speak God's will into situations where we see that are against everything he stands for. And at the same time, when we pray, we're probably going to need to be attentive to some concrete ways that we can participate in the solution. At the Global Leadership Summit in August, uh, we heard from Gary Hagen, who has, uh, is the founder of the International Justice Mission. I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, he founded this to establish justice in, 
in countries where there is no justice, in countries where calls to the police go unanswered, and where cries for justice are, are just not heard. And it's an organization of 750 lawyers who are working in the poorest of countries amongst the poorest of people, and they seek to establish a functioning justice system. And if we, if we play some of the, the global leadership videos, maybe this will be one of them that we'll play for you in, in, in the new year. But uh, he tells some remarkable stories about how they have... Uh, delivered and rescued people from injustice as a result of these lawyers going in and seeking to establish it. Probably he started with prayer. Probably he started with recognizing the injustice in the world and feeling a little bit like David felt here in this psalm. God leads in brave actions like this. He leads us in courageous responses when we actually get bet rightly bent out of shape about the injustice that we see in the world. And so I think it's all right to use words like this. Interesting though, David's cry for judgment against wickedness alerts him to his own need for mercy. The psalm ends in the same language that it begins, which is, search me, O God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is an offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And so David invites God once again to search him. And to know the anxious thoughts that are in his heart. Only the Holy Spirit can show us sometimes what the anxious thoughts are in our heart. Lincoln, I'm going to ask you to come forward as we're just going to, I'm just going to wrap up. I want to wrap up in time to, to sing a couple of songs. I just sense this morning that God wants us to be open with him about our anxious thoughts. About the weighty matters that are, that are in our hearts this morning. I think when we consider that God sees us, that he knows us, that he is with us, and that he has plans for us, and that his hand of blessing is upon us, I think if we can actually receive and embrace that teaching, we can come to God with our anxious thoughts. We can be vulnerable with him. We can be open with him. And I, I just sense that that's where God is calling us into this morning. I really do believe he wants to call us forward and he wants to speak his loving words over us this morning. And so as the band plays, I'm going to ask you to rest and to receive God's good words over you. And then once they've sung, they're going to actually sing a beautiful song that Lincoln has written uh, from Psalm 139. And then after, they, after we've received the, the blessing and, and we've been ministered to by that song and we've, we've sit, sat quietly in God's presence, then we're going to rise and we're going to sing together that song that we sang at the beginning, which is we're going to actually declare uh, our identity, which is I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God.